Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences. Today's guest is really out, so much so that he calls himself the gay leadership dude. Dr. Steve Iacovelli runs Top Dog Learning Group, delivering inclusive leadership training, among other things. We just had to have him as a guest given this podcast is called A Dog Called Diversity. Dr. Steve shares his own story, how he's making a difference with Top Dog Learning Group and his latest book. Dr. Steve is based in Florida and as such we learn about the Don't Say Gay Bill that was recently passed in the state of Florida. This is a piece of legislation which on the face seems quite innocent. It's about banning instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity from kindergarten to third grade and prohibits similar lessons for older students unless age appropriate. But as you'll hear, there are lots of issues that those of us who are heterosexual don't even realize. Here's our host, Lisa Mulligan. So welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, Dr. Steve Iacovelli. You are joining us from Orlando, Florida. Correct. Uh, And I'm here at the other end of the world in Auckland, New Zealand. You're actually one of my first guests after moving from Singapore to Auckland, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I literally had to talk to you because the podcast is called A Dog Called Diversity and you have a company called Top Dog Learning. So... (laughs) We, we had to talk. <laughs> we had to talk. We're, we're yeah. pack, mates. pack mates. We are pack mates. I love that. And I, and I love you've got sort of two different things going on. And I wanted to start with the gay leadership dude. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to start there because often when people are kind of different in the world or might get discriminated against, a lot of people want to, I guess, hide it a little bit more. Mm. But you have gone full on. I am out and proud. <laughs> <laughs> um, and gay. So tell me about how this, I guess it's a personal brand, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny because, because um, when I was writing my latest book, Pride Leadership, which I know we'll have a chat about later, I was working with my, my publisher, who we just literally signed on yesterday to, for the next book. So she's still my publisher, which is lovely. Congratulations. Um, Je- thank you. Jen is lovely. <laughs> and uh, Publisher Purpose Press, shout out. They're awesome. But um, as we're going down the path of getting my book published, Jen is an expert marketer. That's actually what she does, like like she did before she started getting into publishing. So she always throws out these little nuggets of, of wisdom. And one of the things she says was, well, what's your brand? I'm like, well, it's Top Dog Learning Group, Jen. You know this. That's my business. She's like, no, 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 your personal brand. She's like, think about it. Somebody comes along and buys Top Dog. What are you left with? And I'm like, oh, that's a brilliant thing to think about. So I was kind of noodling around a couple different things. And then I kind of came up with the gay leadership dude. And for those of us in the States, Circle R. So I'm the only one legally who can use that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and when I use that title, you immediately know three things about me. First of all, that I'm gay. Second of all, that I self-identify as a dude. And third, I like to talk <laughs> about leadership stuff. And so it's this beautiful, um, very quick introduction where some of us who are a hidden minority, like uh, members of the uh, LGBTQ plus community, um, you just throw it out there if you wish to. And so the gay leadership dude was born or hatched or came out of the closet or something like that. <laughs> did you have someone help come up with that? Or like, did you brainstorm with someone? No, no, it was no. My, my crazy little noggin thought of that one. But what's funny is um, after I shared it with my publisher, she laughed so hard. She's like, you don't know this about me, but my, my personal brand is the professional lesbian. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> 
which I thought was awesome. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, so you're clearly out and proud and gay. Tell me about growing up and, and tell me a bit about when I guess you knew you were gay and I guess when you came out for the first time. Yeah, it, it's, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. So, um, in my growing up, there were, um, few and far between role models, especially on media, uh, different, yeah. different types of media, pre social media for you kids out there in the audience. Um, so, you know, and I really didn't know my authentic self. I, I didn't really think about it. You know, I kind of progressed through high school and, you know, dated girls and went to college and was a little, you know, fraternity man and you know, still dated women and all that good stuff and didn't really, th- make it click until after I graduated from uh, undergraduate. Uh, so I was about 24 or so. And I was just kind of getting into the professional world. And then I just kind of figured my authentic self out. And was just like, oh, in hindsight, this totally makes sense. Why, like, me and my ex-fiance didn't last. And you know, why I had lots of girlfriends, but no one I was really, like, into, you know. And it's yeah. Like, so, yeah. So, like, but once once it clicked, once, and, and truth be told, it was one of those love at first sight things. I saw, saw a guy, still one of my best friends this day, my first boyfriend. And um, I was like, oh, this makes total sense. And, you know, I love love that we're having conversations now in um, 2022 where, where younger folks are doing that. The cue isn't just for queer, it's for questioning. And they're yeah. trying to figure their authentic self out. And, I, and we're giving them more space on that. Things, I know we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, society is much more like, okay, you know, who is your, who is authentic Steve? You know, assuming it was me years ago. And I, I think that's the cool part. Now, the one thing that I don't know how I had the, the courage at the point, but I, I've never been in the closet in any work situation I've been in which I think is kind of funny. It's like ever since I wow. know that, whenever I got into that professional world, like I didn't like, you know, go into the interview with rainbow flags and like, hello, you know, kind of like, you know, <laughs> thing. But I always made it a point to not hide. And eventually now, I mean, <laughs> I'm not hiding with the gay leadership beat anymore. I mean, it's kind of there. And when you hire me, you know what you're getting. <laughs> you're so, you're so not hiding. When you, when you did come out, were your friends like, yeah, yeah, we knew, or your, your family were like, yeah, yeah, we knew? Was it? No. No. I was, um, <laughs> I was you know, sometimes people say straight passing, if you will. Um, right. No, I, I mean, I had a couple people who were just like, oh, yeah, well, I, I thought so, but maybe not. But most people were just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> um, surprise. You know, and I, I, I jokingly say to my, my mom, you know, she's like, oh, you were such a good kid and you, you never, never really gave us trouble. I'm like, yeah, I saved it all up until to give you the drama when I was 24. It's like, hey, you have a gay son. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cute. I certainly have times when I feel like that as an adult too. I was really good growing up, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it. Funny. So obviously Top Dog Learning Group is, is part of your identity as well. Yes. Tell us what that is. Yeah, so I like to think of Top Dog Learning Group as our doghouse sitting in the center of three very different but very complementary areas. Um, as a consulting firm, we focus on leadership and organizational development. We look at diversity inclusion and creating a sense of belonging in the workplace. And we look at change management and being resilient in times of change. And we do one, if not all three of those areas through a bunch of different stuff. We do um, face-to-face trainings when we could do those things. Um, my doctorate's in distance learning, so I've been Zooming well before a pandemic. So we do a lot of online learning, uh, self-paced things that we give clients, keynotes, uh, signature talks, coaching sessions, those type of things. And we tend to work with larger organizations. 
larger Fortune 500s, mainly in North America, but we do do stuff around the world. And I am also, uh, as we talked about, uh, an, an author. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I have three books out there. Uh, fourth is coming, at least according to the contract I signed yesterday. Uh, oh my goodness. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's fresh on the press. But uh, it, it's been in my head. I've actually been working on it. We're just getting the formal ball rolling. But my latest book, Pride Leadership, Strategies for the LGBTQ Plug Leader to be the King or Queen of Their Jungle, is really where I've been focusing a lot of my energy, both with you know my personal brand as well as my business. You know, we do all sorts of fun things associated with the book. It's it's been a, a 25 plus years in the making, um, and it's been a really really fun ride to bring uh, the concept of leadership, but through what I call the rainbow lens and how. Uh, queer leaders, um, as well as allies, can really focus on the six competencies that I've seen everybody leader, every leader that I've worked with, um, either do really well in or not so much, and that's authenticity, courage, empathy, communication, relationships, and culture. And I was going down the path of doing kind of like a generic book, leadership book, like everybody else out there. And Mm -hmm. then I, I, I realized that no one's speaking through the queer experience. And there is something slightly different about approaching leadership through the rainbow lens. And that's kind of how Pride Leadership came about. Cool. It's such a cool book. And I'll put the link in the, the show notes. <laughs> As you were talking, I actually had another queer leader say to me, oh, Lisa, you know, if you can solve workplace inclusion and belonging for the queer community, you can solve it for all forms of diversity. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was a little bit taken back, but but I've started asking people, well, what do you you know other queer people, what do you think about that? So I'd I'd love your response to that. Um, I don't know if I think that we are the shiny unicorn uniqueness that that person is saying. <laughs> um, I think I think all facets of diversity have their their um, ease of inclusiveness and challenges as well. You know, I think about neurodiversity, what that looks like. I think we're just barely scratching the surface on what yeah. that looks like, in, especially in the workplace, on how do we make neurodiverse people felt um, respected and belonging within the space. Um, I think uh, different parts of my community are a little bit easier. I mean, I'm a white cisgendered gay dude. So, you know, I, I recognize the advantage I have in yeah. several of those, <laughs> those uh, areas. Um, you know, but I've looked at my, my trans brothers and sisters and siblings of color, you know, and like yeah, a little bit different. And so I don't, I think making a broad general statement like that is something, I guess, as a diversity person, I always get icky about when everyone says, yeah. oh, if you do this, everyone's going to do that. No, that's kind of not how that works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, but it's, um, it's great to hear different perspectives. Yeah. Now you have a really cool story about how you started Top Dog Learning Group. I wondered if you would share that. <laughs> sure. So uh, Top Dog Learning Group actually started in 2002. So it's just been a while. It's been you going know, it's a while. 20, 20, yeah. So it was a part-time yeah. side hustle. Um, I was actually working at Disney. I worked at the cruise line for several years as an internal consultant, leadership. So kind of similar things to what we're doing now, but you know, a little bit different context. And the woman who I was shadowing and taking her job, we were on board one of the ships and she's like, I have an idea. We should have dinner. I'm like, well, we're on a ship. We're not going anywhere. She's like, all right, no, let's go to the spa. And side note for those listening, if you uh, ever... <laughs> wanted to see your coworkers in bathing suits a lot, join a cruise line. It's really weird, but you do. It's just kind of how the culture is. So we're in the, in the co-ed spa and, and Ruth says to me, um, we should start a business. I'm like, no, we have jobs. And she's like, no, no, look, you know, together we're the, the perfect chief learning officer. Let's, let's try this as a side business. So we went to our senior executive at the time and we told her the deal and she's like, fantastic. Thanks for coming. Don't use Disney stuff. Don't use Disney time. Have at it friends. Be well. And so we just, you know, took it as uh, we'd meet 
meet once a week, drink some wine, and figure out like, oh, yay, we're going to do training stuff. We had a couple minor clients here and there, but it was fun. Flash forward, though, to um, the end of 2007, and I found myself out of a job. And Ruth, who I'm still best friends with, um, she ended up taking a three-year gig. She stayed with Disney. I kind of bounced around to a couple other really cool places. I worked on IBM for a while and all that good stuff. And um, so she ended up moving to Paris to run their Disney University for three years. And I came with her. Uh, I got permission slip from my husband. And he's just like, go figure <laughs> your stuff out. And I'll come get you in like two months. I'm like, score. So I lived in Paris you know, with Ruth for two months. Um, I, I used to speak French. I'm a little rusty now. But I was the puppy au pair because she had this gorgeous chocolate lab you know i'd walk him around the champs noirs which is where the eiffel tower is the the, the, um, the park there and then in the afternoons i'd be like well, what am i going to do <laughs> you know, i need a job <laughs> so i apply online to stuff and then i it just kind of hit me at a cafe i'm not lying it's a true true story i'm sitting at a cafe i look up at um the the store next to the cafe and it was it, it, it was l'orange or orange which is orange in french but um it's just this big square orange or it's, you know, it's a square block with orange in it and then orange at the bottom and i love the logo and i thought it was cool and you can kind of see the logo here yeah. If you have yeah i totally stole it oh, excuse me disney we said repurposed it but um but i was inspired <laughs> right. i'm like um but i was inspired by that i'm like wait i have this business one i need to redo my logo because it was ugly and then two i have a business infrastructure let's make this a go and so i came back and of course 2008 was a really dumb time to start a business full time <laughs> but uh the economy really wasn't great but it worked and you know knock on wood 14 ish years later uh top dog's been my main doghouse. it's a great story and i'm so jealous you got to live in paris for two years <laughs> Oh, just two months, um, just two months. <laughs> oh, two months, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And if it's any consolation, I once did a project in India. I was the, the HR person for a software development project in India and there was nothing to do on the weekends. And so the whole project team would go and sit by the pool. And it was, yeah, it was one of those moments like I work with these people yeah. and in the HR team. Yeah, do, do do we need to see each other in Lycra? And so, so they would all be around one side of the pool and I would walk way around the other side. To try. Nice. I wanted to ask you, I know when we, we had a chat a few months ago and at the time there was a bill pending um, in Florida mm. and it was dubbed the don't say gay bill in schools, mm. I guess. And before before I got on to speak with you, I was doing a bit of research on that bill and it's passed, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Yes. Now, I wanted to ask you, because I did some, when I first heard about it, I was like, what? America is is going backwards at a rapid rate, is becoming more conservative than, than open. Um, and I did some research. So the legislation bans classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity from kindergarten to third grade. And it prohibits lessons for older students around the same topics unless it's mm -hmm. age appropriate. Is that mm -hmm. is that your understanding of the bill that's passed? So I am I will preface this with a big sloppy asterisk. I am not a legal expert. However, <laughs> I'm I'm a, a semi-intelligent human who could access the PDF files online and I did. Right. I okay. read the seven-page law. I read all of the um, extra committee stuff that went with it. And um I'm going to soapbox here for just a moment because as the gay leadership dude, I'm like, so I can't even say my name now. And this, no, it, it's, it's, it's completely a divisive law that's meant to uh, pander to a certain demographic and to look like, Oh, look how we're going against the woke side note. There's another bill that passed called the anti woke bill, 
which is another form of censorship that's against uh, critical race theory being taught in K through 12 schools. It's not taught. It's taught at, at, the, at the college level and in law schools, but there's that. And it opens up both schools as well as employers. Now it's starting to hit my world that uh-huh. if um, they force somebody to go into some sort of um, diversity training, uh, um, unconscious bias training, if the employee doesn't like it, they can sue both the vendor and the employer. And if if I'm uh, a teacher in a school and I'm caught, quote unquote, caught uh, teaching what they call critical race theory, then uh, that parent can. So it's 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 so disgusting. So one, it literally is hitting me in the bottom dollar. Quite frankly, this means I cannot ever do. Um, I can do it, but with risk of doing business on the inclusive leadership stuff that we do as our signature foundation in my own right. state, which is so that's a different even law that's out there. But you know, the don't yeah. say gay law. What's really poor about the um, don't say gay law is it cites, okay, for teachers out there, or if you know the concept of a rubric, well, it's a test without a rubric because it cites, uh, you know, it says age appropriate standards. They don't exist. I looked for them. I asked about them. They're not in existence until maybe July, 2023. So this law is now in effect with no way to, to like benchmark or litmus test it. It's, it's so ridiculous. I get very frustrated. I just wrote a blog article about like how we as champions of inclusivity and uh, equity and justice don't get bullied down by all of this stuff, especially if you're a queer advocate and all the anti, I and mean, we have tons of anti-trans uh, stuff and it's always under the guise of let's help in the kids. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, that, that's such a, a, a shield that you're hiding behind just to put hate legislation on those who are disenfranchised and vulnerable to begin with. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting about the legislation was, yeah, you're not allowed to talk about sexual orientation or gender identity from kindergarten to grade three. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I was like, well, what are we doing in kindergarten from grade three that we would talk about anything that relates to sexuality? So, Lisa, that's what's funny. Yeah, we are. <laughs> you have a Disney film and the prince is kissing the princess. That's you're talking about sexual orientation to some extent, romantic, okay. uh, romantic affiliation. I mean, there's a standard thing. My my friend of mine told me yeah. their second grader just did. You'd build your family tree. Now, what if my family tree has two daddies or two mommies? You know, what do I do? Does that mean yeah. the kid can't talk about it? Does that mean the teacher can't respond to it? What if I'm a gay teacher and I have a picture of my, my spouse on my desk. I can't talk about them. No, according to this, but then you can also take it even further. Well, if that's the way it is, sexual orientation isn't mm-hmm. just a queer thing. It's a straight thing too. So does that mean we can't talk about any, any romantic affection we have period? Like it, it's just in seven pages and that's one paragraph of it. It's just so ambiguously horribly written that the litigation is just going to start to proliferate if people want to be jerks about it. Yeah. Which is the point, right? I mean, you wouldn't create the legislation if you didn't want to go after people with it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So those are us who are trying to champion inclusivity. But mm. what it does do is it is a way for um, those of us who are trying to create a sense of belonging everywhere. Yeah. It's just yet another example of the fight that we have and the opportunity here's me glass half full and kind of guy the opportunity we have to educate those that you know that's this isn't really what's happening here's really what's happening and you're to see where that that um data point kind of resonates with some yeah 
And and you've just done that with me because when I read it, I go, well, why would we talk be talking about stuff to little kids? But your, your points around watching cartoons and, yeah. you know, other things that happen in the media, I think, yeah, is such a good point. Yeah, it's, it's I, really – to get to the point that they really wanted to do, although they couldn't say this, they just don't want to talk about um, L, um, LGBT issues and yeah. sexual orientation when it comes to same-sex affection. So, But they can't write that because then that's anti you – know, that's very discriminatory. That's too blatant. So now we throw out sexual orientation, but it's like wink, wink. We just mean the gay stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's – I think it's fascinating we've come through a COVID period where – I'm seeing this groundswell of kindness and people wanting to support each other and being inclusive and help people belong. And so while that's happening, that's a reaction that some humans have had to a worldwide crisis. Mm -hmm. But then we're seeing, I think, the people who maybe are scared and, and don't know how to deal with that go in completely the opposite direction. It feels like the world is becoming polarized, like the middle is moving out and choosing a side, aren't they? I have to say, and maybe this is my, my naivety at being you know, 50 plus years old, I think it's really a sign that we're doing the right work because yeah. you know, we're creating that space of inclusivity where the those outliers are, are freaking out and they're grabbing and grasping at straws of power that are quickly eroding. And, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that that's how it is because you look at um, you know the voting blocks for... Uh, uh, the, the younger set, as I like to say, you know, the, the Gen X and, and the millennials, you know, they're they're very different focused on what's important to them. It's not these these social issues. It's more like, you know, I have student loan debt that's killing me. You know, I yes. want to find a better job. You know, like those are the more important things. And, and instead, we're spending so much time and energy on these these. They're not stupid issues. Of course, they're very important, but they're they're just divisive and they're not promoting inclusivity and just, just a better world overall. Yeah, that's so true. I've got friends with kids in sort of late high school who, you know, they have friends who realize they're transgender and they've transitioned and it's no issue. Everyone just gets on with it. Yeah. Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend. I had a friend <laughs> ask me. They're like, "Why are there so many trans kids now?" I said, "You know what? Because <laughs> we're open to it." Uh, back was in the nineteen fifties, where you couldn't be left-handed if you were if you were you if you were left-handed, you were forced to use your right hand, and like it's it. And you saw once handedness was like, "Oh yeah, left-handers are fine." Boom! There was this massive spike in left-handedness. Not that they didn't exist. It's just now society was like, "Okay, we're cool with this," and that's. Exactly the same thing you're seeing with, with trans uh, people understanding their authentic self. It's not just they, they weren't there. It's just we're getting better-ish of, of accepting yeah. their um, their authenticity out there. Yeah, we've so seen that, especially in the – we've seen some high-profile people who have transitioned in their 40s and 50s. Um, I think of Bruce Jenner is, is an yeah. incredible example. But, um, yeah, there's other high-profile sports people who've done that. Not my same. favorite person, but I understand what your point <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's certainly divisive, but I think she. she. Well, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner. Yes, Caitlin. Um, she. Yes, apologies. Look, I wanted to finish on something really positive. I'd love to hear about maybe some of the the projects that you've worked with companies on, and if you can't share company names, of course that's yeah. fine. But I'd love to hear about where you you think you've really made a difference for some of the companies you've worked with. Oh, thank you for that. I love ending on a positive note. Um, you know, it, it's funny because um, 
you know, I, I talked about the three kind of areas, the leadership, diversity, inclusion, and change management. And, and really the right companies that we're working with are using all three. Uh, and, and the idea is to create consciously inclusive leaders. And that's, that's really kind of where we've focused a lot of our energy on over the past several years. Um, actually, before, before COVID and before George Floyd, we were really looking at um, how do we meld all three of those together? And, and so we started creating programs like that. And we started doing that with, with a couple um, couple larger for, Fortune 500 folks. And what was what's really cool is to see where they've come so far. Like, for example, one of our clients is a global manufacturing company. They do a lot of development of paper and some other really cool stuff. Uh, and they know that they're, they have an issue with inclusivity. It, it's not that they don't want to. It's that their demographics are wicked skewed on one side. You know, it's mostly middle-aged white dudes. Um, or perceived white dudes doing the work, but they knew that like you know at least we need to get some more gender diversity, and so they they knew the knowledge, which is awesome, and so they brought us in, and we've been doing you know a lot of workshops with their leaders. Now of course it's online, but what I think is really fascinating is to watch the shift. Well, whenever we do these these programs, I always share like you know here's the reason why organizations look at being more inclusive. On one end of the spectrum, the law said you have to, <laughs> so they're trying to get <laughs> keep out of hot water. So there's that. On the opposite side of that same continuum, it's, you know, it makes the world that much better. I said, I'm sitting there. Someday you will too, hopefully. I, I believe the listeners to this podcast probably are are on that side of the camp. Definitely. But I say, but in, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully. But in the middle, it's it's the business case for inclusivity. And, and I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know that. If not, Google business case for inclusivity. Um, and you can see that companies that embrace diversity and inclusion and create that sense of belonging fiscally do better. So I tell my participants and we tell our participants, you know, we'd love you to get to that one end where it makes the world better, but at least get into the middle where, you know what, it's the right thing to do to make our business more effective. Can you do that? They're like, yeah, yeah, we're cool. And then we kind of work with them and sure enough, some of them by the end of the, yeah. the programs we do. And and that's really fascinating to watch. I have also seen folks in my keynotes as well as those who have read uh, my book. And we also do an, an eight-week online um, leadership program for uh, LGBTQ and ally leaders around my book. So it's called the Lions oh. Program, a leader's immersive opportunity to nurture strengths because former Disney, I have to brand everything. But, um, <laughs> but just getting the feedback from that where I've had leaders come back to me you know, you know, a year afterwards and says, you know what? I quit my job as a scientist and now I'm working in diversity because I feel that passionate about it. And your program helped me start that path. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. You know, I, I helped that's somebody so change their cool. career and make the world even more inclusive. So those are the, the things that, that really spark joy in, in what we're doing and know that we're on the right path to really making the world a little bit more inclusive. That's really cool. So tell me what's coming up next for you. I mean, you said you've just signed a book deal, which I'm, I know, um, I have to, what's no, your next um, book going to be about? Can you, can you give us a secret? I, I can, we could, we actually already have the title because I legally got the title. So um, it's called your queer career. Uh, the working subtitle is um, workplace advice from the gay leadership dude. So you know what you're getting when you look at that title. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really, um, it's kind of like a, a dear Abby, um, dear gay leadership dude, my boss is homophobic. What should I do? And, you know, and so giving some advice and it's, a lot of it is questions I hear in all of our coaching sessions or a lot of our coaching sessions or the classes we do. So I've always been kind of scribing them in a file. And, and so now I'm answering them. And I've been doing it in a couple of different venues, um, a couple of magazines and, and online newspapers and stuff. But now I'm pulling them all together to kind of um, share those as a way to look for ways that maybe somebody reading it might have the same question and at least get some advice uh, based upon the context of their work area. That's a really cool idea. And I can see that it would be an amazing resource 
for the queer community. Really cool. I'm excited. Like I said, it's kind of, it's, I wouldn't say it's half written by any stretch of the imagination, but (laughs) it's in bits and pieces here and there. When when we met yesterday to kind of get the project plan down, my publisher was very excited because she's like, oh, you're far ahead. I'm like, yes. (laughs) We have our plan. We have our plan. Amazing. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been fantastic talking to you, Dr. Steve. I'm so excited to see what you do next. And I'll make sure I'll put all your links in the show notes so that if people want to get in contact, they can. Yes, please. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you for having this space because it's so important to give that opportunity for all of us who are trying to champion inclusivity to have that voice and to hear other voices. So thank you for that. We hope you enjoyed learning from the gay leadership dude, Dr. Steve Iacovelli and the work he is doing to make the world more inclusive. Please check out the show notes to get in contact. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, and maybe learned something, please share on social media, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave a comment.